the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Ring of Truth with Pastor Dan Sexton. If we're stubborn enough, if we're stiff-necked enough, God will give us what we want. He'll give us what we want. He'll let us have our way. But look what it says here. What it says. It comes at a very high price. It costs us the favor of God. God says, where I will not show you favor. In the Old Testament, there is the account of the Israelites being in the desert for 40 years. In one particular portion of the narrative, the Israelites began to complain. They complained about everything, from their living conditions to the food they ate. Eventually, they complained so much that God gave them manna, although this was not God's original plan. And in today's message, Pastor Dan will warn you that God will give us what we ask for, even if it isn't always in our best interest. Now here's Pastor Dan in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 16, for today's edition of Ring of Truth. give the appearance that Jeremiah doesn't doesn't agree with God's judgment of these people. And so God says, I don't want you to give that appearance to anyone that you, you disapprove of what I'm doing or my judgment or that you disagree with me. And so I don't want you to participate. Don't go to the funeral. Don't go to their house and sit with them. Don't go to the reception afterwards because that's going to communicate the wrong message. Uh, you see back in, uh, in Leviticus chapter 10, there you have Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, Aaron the high priest. His sons, Nadab and Abihu, were also priests. And if you remember the story, Nadab and Abihu, they offered strange fire on the altar in the tabernacle, and God struck them dead for doing that. But then the Lord said to Aaron, don't leave the tabernacle, and don't mourn and lament over your sons that have died. Why? Because he's the high priest. And if he mourns and laments, it's going to communicate to the people that he disagrees with the judgment of God. And so God tells Aaron, you just stay in the tabernacle and you keep serving me. Don't leave to go and mourn the death of your sons because his judgment was just. And you don't want, you don't want to give this, uh, this wrong impression to the people that, that you disapprove of what God has done. Now... How does that apply today? I'll tell you how that applies today. One question that uh, I've heard from Christians, even within our own church, 
uh, is what, what about homosexual marriage? Should a Christian go to a marriage, a wedding, for a gay couple? Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a close friend. Maybe it's a cousin. What should we do? Well, my, my opinion, based on what Scripture says here, my opinion would be that if, if you go, you're going to give the appearance that you approve of what they're doing and that you disagree with what God says in his word about homosexuality, which, which God, of course, he, he doesn't condone it. He calls it detestable. And so by going, we're giving the appearance or the impression to people that we disagree with what God's judgment says. And so like Jeremiah here, I think it's best to just not go, not attend, not participate. Now that creates kind of a difficulty, doesn't it? Especially if it's a family member or a close friend, that could be uh, offensive. Well, I'm sure for Jeremiah here, not showing up at someone's funeral, uh, it's kind of, a, uh, puts a little strain on the relationship for Jeremiah, right? But we want to honor God over man. We want to honor God over man. Now look at verse 7 again. In verse 7 again, he says here, Nor shall men break bread and mourning for them to comfort them for the dead, nor shall men give them the cup of consolation to drink for their father or their mother. And, And what it's describing here is this custom, again, in ancient times that the Jewish people practiced, this custom of of breaking bread together uh, as they were going through that seven days of, of mourning for the dead, they would break bread together. They would share stories about the person who's passed away. They would share memories about the person. Then they would drink a cup of wine in their honor together. Does that sound vaguely familiar at all? Jesus took this practice that was part of their, 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 you know, their culture, their tradition. Jesus took this practice of breaking bread and drinking a cup of wine together, and he transformed it into the Lord's Supper, right? Something that was done at a funeral, and here it is, it's the, it's the, uh, the night of his arrest, the night before he's crucified on the cross, and Jesus is with his disciples in the upper room, he takes the piece of bread, he takes the cup, he shares it with his disciples, and that was normally a time where you would share, share memories about the person who has died. And what does Jesus say? Do this in remembrance of me. Every time you take this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This is the one thing I want you to remember about me, that I've died for you, that I've laid down my life for you, that I've shed my blood for your sins, that I've given my body as a sacrifice for you. He's, he's using this. This is right out of their, their tradition. Verse 9 says, For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will cause to cease from this place before your eyes and in your days the voice of mirth, the rejoicing, and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom, and the voice of the bride. Once the Babylonians invade, uh, there will be nothing to celebrate. There will be no gladness, no rejoicing, no weddings, nothing like that. It's all going to stop. And it shall be when you show this people all these words and they say to you, why has the Lord pronounced all this great disaster against us? Or what is our iniquity or what is our sin that we have committed against the Lord 
our God. At least they're asking. I would say that. At least they're asking. You know, they recognize that it, it's, it's the judgment of God and they're asking, what have we done? Then you shall say to them, because your fathers have forsaken me, says the Lord. They have walked after other gods and have served them and worshipped them and have forsaken me and not kept my law. And you have done worse than your fathers. For behold, look, each one follows the dictates of his own evil heart so that no one listens to me. And notice here, he says, your fathers have forsaken me. And then in verse 12, he says, and you have done worse than your fathers. And so it wasn't just the present generation that was rebelling against God. This, this was rebellion over several generations, their fathers, their forefathers that came before them. Uh, and and what, their, what their fathers did, the sin of their fathers, it was enough uh, to deserve God's judgment. And they have done worse than their fathers. And he tells us, here's what they're doing. They're following the dictates of their own evil hearts. The the, the present generation that was in Judah at the time of Jeremiah, they've completely abandoned God's words. They've completely abandoned God's standards, God's morals, all of it. And they're just following their hearts, just following their desires. Whatever seems good to them, whatever seems right in their own eyes, that's what they're, they're doing. There, there's, there's no moral compass left in the nation at all. They, they have totally cast aside the word of God as their standard, and now they're just doing whatever seems right to them and their own hearts. And when a nation reaches this point, this is when it gets crazy in the nation. This is when it gets cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs in the nation. This is when they start calling good evil and evil good and right wrong and wrong right, where things that they're doing now don't even make sense. And you look at some of the things that are going on in our nation right now. You know, you look at the things going on with this whole uh, gender identity where where uh, male students, if they self-identify as a girl, can, can compete on the girls' sports teams, and they're, they're winning. Or a male student, if he self-identifies as a girl, can go into the girls' locker room. And to say, that that's, to say that's wrong or suggest that we shouldn't allow that, you're considered crazy, you're considered bigoted or whatever. We're following the dictates of our own evil hearts. You're seeing that come into play in our own nation now. Therefore, verse 13. I will cast you out of this land into a land that you do not know, neither you nor your fathers. And there you shall serve other gods day and night where I will not show you favor. Here the Lord says, I'm going to cast you out of this land. The word cast, it means to throw or to hurl. I'm going to throw you out of this land. Uh, Back, I think it's in Deuteronomy, the Lord says, I'm going to purge you. I'm going to vomit you out of the land is the idea. You make me sick. So I'm going to throw you out. I'm going to throw you up. 
And this, this, of course, it comes as no surprise because God warned them over and over in the law of Moses uh, that if they do rebel against him and they forsake him and they go after other gods, he's going to remove them from the land. You know, God brought them out of Egypt. He brought them out of Egypt. He's the one who delivered them. They would still be slaves in Egypt if it wasn't for God. He brought them out. He brought them into the promised land. It was his land. He put them in that land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And so he has a right to remove them from the land and take them out. And that's what he does. They're not following his rules. They're not walking in his ways. They refuse to repent. We'll return to Pastor Dan's message in just a moment. But first, Pastor Dan would like to tell you about the new Calvary Chapel Ellicott City app. We recently launched an app for our church and we're really excited about it. It's designed to keep you connected to our radio ministry, Ring of Truth, as well as to our church, Calvary Chapel. And get this, we have over 1,200 sermons on the app. The app is super convenient, it's easy to use, and allows you to listen to Bible studies anytime, anywhere. So download the app right now, search for Calvary Chapel, Ellicott City in your app store, or just follow the links on our website at calvaryec.com. What a great way to stay connected to Scripture. Now, back to today's message on Ring of Truth. They refuse to turn, and so... God's going to send them out of the land and he's going to send them into Babylon, he says here, where they can serve other gods night and day. And the idea here of what God is saying is, you know, you, you want to serve other gods? Then I'm going to send you into a land where you can serve those other gods night and day and just indulge your desire all that you want there. And listen... If we're stubborn enough, if we're stiff-necked enough, God will give us what we want. He'll give us what we want. He'll let us have our way. But look what it says here. Look what it says. It comes at a very high price. It costs us the favor of God. God says, where I will not show you favor. He's going to give them what they want, but he's going to remove his favor from them. He's going to remove his grace. He's going to remove his blessing from them. You know, it says in the Psalms, talking about the children of Israel and their constant uh, rebellion against God and their constant, you know, hard heart and stiff neck against God. It says that God gave them the desires of their heart but he sent leanness to their soul. So there's a trade there. He'll give you what you want, but he's going to send leanness to your soul. He'll give you what you want, but he's going to remove his favor. Your relationship with God will suffer. You'll no longer have his grace. You'll no longer have his favor. You'll no longer have his hand of blessing upon your life, but you'll get what you want. Now, now, verse 14, and we've, we've seen this pattern so many times uh, in Jeremiah. We saw it in Isaiah, too, where, where God talks about this judgment that is to come. And then it's like he can only talk about it for so long, and he, he's got he's to say something encouraging. You know, and so now verse 14, 
He gives this promise. Yes, the children of Israel will go into captivity because of their rebellion, but that's not going to be the end of the story. God will bring them back. There's a hope. There's a future for the children of Israel. Just like for us, there's a future and a hope for us, right? Right? Jesus is going to come back and receive us unto himself that where he is, there we may be also, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. And so there's this, this future hope that we have as followers of Jesus Christ. So he says now in verse 14, Therefore, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that it shall no more be said, The Lord lives who brought up the children of Israel from the land of Egypt. But the Lord lives who brought up the children of Israel from the land of the north and from all the lands where he has driven them. For I will bring them back into their land, which I gave to their fathers. So God's going to bring them back into their land. He's going to send them into captivity in Babylon, but then he's going to bring them back. And just as God delivered the children of Israel out of Egypt, he will also deliver them out of, out of Babylon. They'll be redeemed once again. By God. And so he gives them this, this hope here. Hope with the judgment. But it's just two verses. <laughs> and then in verse 16, he goes right back to talking about Babylon. Behold, I will send for many fishermen, says the Lord, and they shall fish them. And afterward, I will send for many hunters, and they shall hunt them from every mountain and every hill and out of the holes of the rocks. For my eyes are on all their ways. They are not hidden from my face, nor is their iniquity hidden from my eyes. Nothing is hidden from his sight. Nothing is hidden from God. We can't hide anything from him. He knows the thoughts and intents of our hearts. Verse verse 18, And first I will repay double for their iniquity, and their sin. And the idea there is they're going to get what they deserve. Because they have defiled my land. They have filled my inheritance with the carcasses of their detestable and abominable idols. The Babylonians, he describes them here as, as fishermen. They're going to be like fishermen who cast their net out. And they're going to catch everything in that net. Uh, and then he describes them as hunters who go upon every mountain hunting for the people of Judah. The, and the idea here is the people of Judah will not be able to escape the Babylonians when they come. They're, you know, they're going to try to flee to the mountains and hide in the caves, but the Babylonians are going to hunt them down like prey and capture them or kill them. And those that they uh, don't kill, they're going to take as slaves back to Babylon. Now look at verse 19. Jeremiah speaking. Oh Lord, my strength. And my fortress, my refuge in the day of affliction. You can just stop right there. I mean, what, what a wonderful verse. Jeremiah here found his strength and his refuge in the Lord in the midst of his affliction, in the day of his affliction. But just, a, just a couple other verses for you. Psalm 46. God is our refuge. And strength, a very present help in trouble. Now, what does that mean, that God is a very present help? It means that God is always available to help us in our time of trouble. He's always right there, ready to jump in 
when we ask him and help us. He's waiting. He's standing by, waiting for us to ask him to help us in our time of trouble. In Psalm 27, David says, In the time of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling place. He will hide me in the shelter of his sanctuary in my time of trouble. I think about David. David writes those Psalms. Uh, He writes that as he is on the run for his life. He's running for his life from King Saul, who's hunting him down, trying to kill him. David's hiding in the mountains. He's hiding in caves in the desert. Always just kind of one one step ahead of King Saul and Saul's uh, army. And yet David's able to write, "In, in the time of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling place. He will hide me in the shelter of his sanctuary. David's trust was not in the mountains. His trust was not in the caves. His trust was in the Lord. The Lord will keep me safe in his dwelling place. He will hide me in the shelter of his sanctuary. For David, in his time of trouble, in his time of affliction, what did David do? He took refuge in God. He took refuge in God. In Psalm 57, David says, I will, listen to this one, this one's great. I will take shelter in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed. Isn't that good? I will take shelter in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed. Here's here's what David does, and, and you should take note of this. David says, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take shelter in the shadow of his wing. I'm going to get as close as I can get to God. And I'm going to stay right there as close as I can be to God until this disaster passes by. Until the trouble's over. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to park myself right here under his wing. And I'm going to stay here until the storm goes by. Now, how do you do that practically? By spending time with the Lord in the Word, just sitting alone with the Lord in your Bible, prayer, fellowship, being around the body of Christ, serving the Lord. Just as much as I can be, I'm going to be around the Lord. I'm going to be near the Lord. I'm going to draw near to Him. I'm going to be in His presence until this thing just passes by, until I just get through this and I come out the other side of it, I'm going to stay as close to the Lord as I can be. That's good advice. That's how you get through a difficult time. It's how you get through the storms of life that come. And here, Jeremiah, look what he says again in verse 19. The Lord is my strength. You know, when, I, when, I'm, when I'm weak, When I'm discouraged, we've seen that with Jeremiah already, where he's just been discouraged, where he's been heartbroken, uh, where he's, you know, the people, remember the people of his own hometown were seeking to kill him. And David is, or I'm sorry, uh, Jeremiah is just left kind of alone. You know, this, this kind of this lone voice out there in the wilderness. And here he says, the Lord is my strength. When I'm weak, when I'm discouraged, when I can't go on, the Lord is my strength. He's my fortress. He has-
The book of Jeremiah entails many prophecies given to the people of Israel, but they weren't just commands of judgment and consequence. Within these pages, Jeremiah gives insight into the coming promises that Jesus would offer by coming and fulfilling a new covenant of redemption for all people. What's interesting is that Jeremiah poured his heart and soul out as he wrote this book. It wasn't just a dry dissertation of what people should do or what should come about. Jeremiah was a living and breathing person during the time of siege and exile, and he felt deeply for the people and nation he was a part of. His empathy for his kinsmen should resonate with you as you're part of a larger group of people in a nation and ultimately part of God's family. Is there a stirring within you to see those who are lost come to have a saving knowledge of Christ? If so, you might be able to relate to Jeremiah more than you thought. If you're enjoying this series through the book of Jeremiah and would like to hear more teachings, we encourage you to visit our website at calvaryec.com. In addition to listening to these teachings, you can access more information about the church behind this ministry. Calvary Chapel, Ellicott City. As a church, our heart is geared towards spreading the gospel message to all we come in contact with. And we welcome anyone to worship with us at our location in Columbia, Maryland. For service times and location, check out calvaryec.com. Thanks for joining us today. Next time, we'll continue looking at the book of Jeremiah here on Ring of Truth. I see the signs and I recognize the hands that craft and what I know because I know His voice and it only takes Rings true.